brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Serenity now, dear listeners, from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and there's no shortage of topics to discuss for the conspiratorially minded in 2020, as it seems like any shadowy cabal or shady corporation who's ever had an agenda to enact has decided that now's the time as they collectively strip the last bits of meat from the proverbial carcass that is the way of life we've known for so long. And we've been patient all year, with many people following the harsh protocols handed down from on high, hoping that the lockdowns, masks, and six-foot buffers would eventually allow us to return to our perceived normalcy. But as we enter the last few weeks of the year, on the heels of a heavily manipulated election season, the stress, isolation, and economic pressure are bound to boil over for a lot of us. Which is why we need the man who has been one of my favorite dark agenda decoders and conspiratorial chaos sense-makers for years now, the great Dr. Joseph P. Farrell, an Oxford scholar who's been here many times before. In simpler times, we've talked about everything from financial alchemy and cosmic wars to untold Nazi tales, secret science, and mind control technologies. You can find his robust catalog of books, podcasts, blogs, and ongoing coverage of everything at GizaDeathStar.com, and I'm very much looking forward to this. The dark winter decoder and true king of whopper doozies and high-octane speculation, <sighs> Dr. Farrell, welcome back. Well, <laughs> wow. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Greg, for having me back. Yes, man. Thank you for being here. I really sure. appreciate all your time that you've given us. And you know that I like to have a little fun with those intros, but the reality <laughs> is... A little, yes. <laughs> yes. But, you know, these are really heavy times, and many people are struggling to keep it together. We're really being hit on all sides, and now we're going into a holiday season that is essentially canceled for a lot of people, so there is no release. There is no end-of-the-year reminder of what we do it all for. I worry for people, and I don't really know how to help them, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a mess. You know, it's 2020, I think, has just been kind of the icing on the last four-year cake, you know? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just it's just unreal. But, you know, I think that everybody's attention is focused on this election. And I know for my part that 
you would not believe, Greg, I have been getting an absolute deluge of articles from pretty much everybody that's a member of my website <laughs> on this election. And I think it's pretty clear to most people that there is, I wouldn't even say it's a heavily manipulated election. I would say it's a heavily fraudulent election. They've really pulled out all the stops on this one. And the question to my mind is a disturbing one. How is it that one political party, the Democratic Party, number one, became so radicalized so quickly. Now, I happen to think that it's been a long, slow process that's been going on for decades, but nonetheless, at least to the public imagination, it's happened rather quickly. But that raises the question. We're watching such blatant, I mean, I don't know about you, Greg, I was up watching YouTube feeds of the election, and then when they stopped the counts in some of those swing states, my immediate reaction was, oh boy, here we go. Hmm. So I went to bed in the United States and woke up the next day with an inbox of emails full of people shouting, fraud, 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 you know? Yes. <laughs> so I woke up in the Weimar Republic, <laughs> and <laughs> and it raises the question for me, having looked at some of the allegations that people are making, not even necessarily Trump's lawyers, just people putting out their YouTube videos. And looking at some of this, I'm wondering, why would you have a major political party committing fraud so blatantly? Mm -hmm. And this is what gives me pause more than the fraud itself. Why do it so blatantly? What's the real design here? What are they after? Are they that panicked to get Mr. Biden in office, or is there a much deeper agenda? Right. And I had the same questions about 9-11. Obviously, this big thing happened in the middle of one of the most populated places there are and, and right. had a large amount of eyes on it. But, you know, if they use some kind of exotic technology that people don't even understand how it works, then maybe they felt like they could get away with it. But I have the same question here. The obvious fraud. It's like... You know, you could do this with computer software and things like Operation Scorecard and right. and you could do it pretty quietly, but it seems like they wanted it to look obvious. Yeah, this is what bothers me. Now, you know, I've entertained the speculation that we're watching something where the fraud is so in your face, the claims being made are so ridiculous. I mean, for crying out loud, how does someone who runs a non-campaign and can't get 30 people to a rally, you know, to stand in his circles, <laughs> you know, how does this qualify, number one, as a presidential campaign? And number two, how does he manage to gain even the legitimate votes that he got? Mm -hmm. You know, that's number one. So I'm thinking we're looking at kind of a Warren Commission type operation here where the story that's put out is so ridiculous that it's a kind of a social engineering operation in and of itself to get people to buy into a narrative. And, you know, if you can get people to accept the ridiculous and go along with it, then you can get them to do pretty much anything. And I entertain that part of it, but on the other part of it, and my problem here, and I'm not trying to denigrate Mr. Trump's supporters or anything, but my other problem here is, okay, there were repeated 
indications on the part of Mr. Trump and his administration and his campaign that they saw this coming, and they clearly did. You can go back and look up tweets and comments and so on and so forth for a couple of months prior to the election. Well, if that's the case, why wasn't anything done about it then? Mm -hmm. This is my problem here. Both sides were ginning up this election as a contested election prior to the election. Right. So my problem here is what are we really watching and who's really manipulating? And quite frankly, I think both sides are. And, you know, the poor voter is caught in between here. But the bottom line for me is with such massive fraud, how can you have a republic? Answer, you can't. <laughs> right, right. And that's definitely a good setup. And let's get into some of those details so people know exactly what we're talking about. Because I thought it would be obvious to a lot of people, but through the conversations I'm having with regular folks, it seems like it's all perfectly set up for people to be able to see exactly what they want to see, regardless right. of what side they're on. I think it's pretty obvious that when we went to bed, Trump had more votes than Biden. And when we woke up, suddenly they found tens of thousands of votes that made <laughs> his vertical line jump straight up. Yeah. And that seems pretty odd. I've read some uh, reports from people who are professional statisticians who mm -hmm. say this just doesn't happen. This is a degree of magnitude that goes over the mean and it just can't happen statistically. This is why we have statistics and we know how things are going to play out to a degree once a certain percentage uh, of votes have come in. Right. And, you know, they did set us up for this, too, because they said, well, it's all of Biden's voters who are going to be mailing in their ballots. They're going to be afraid to go to the polls. So when those mail-in ballots are counted, expect them to be overwhelmingly for Biden. And that you know, is a convenient thing to set up for people when this actually rolls out. But most of the Trump supporters that I know, and obviously it's anecdotal because it's a small sample size, but people of your generation who I know back in the Midwest, they weren't going to the polls because they do have concerns about COVID. Right. So I know a, a, a lot of Trump voters who did mail in their ballots. It doesn't make sense that they would only go to one candidate. So I guess I would ask, you know, when it comes to this election fraud, where do you see it being most obvious and what aspects and threads have concerned you the most? Well, I have the same view that you do. The things that seem most obvious to me are the sudden discovery of all these votes for Mr. Biden in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, as I like to call it. Hmm. The problem is when you get stories of, you know, hundreds of thousands of votes. I think I saw one story in Michigan, for example, that something like 100,000 votes were all 100% for Mr. Biden. <laughs> now, I'm sorry, folks. If you have a genuine random sampling of a tranche of votes, some of those are going to be for Mr. Trump. So in other words, this is a clear case, prima facie, that someone's just busily filling out ballots. And I suspect, as many do, that they stopped the counts because they realized that they were just getting stopped in the actual votes. So they stopped the count to figure out how many votes do we need to come up with so that Mr. Biden wins. Well, the problem here that I have, and I go back to what I said previously, if you're stuffing a vote you want to make awful sure, unless you're Lyndon Johnson, of course, with Box 13, but you want to make awful sure that you don't 
give any red flags to the votes that you're stuffing. In other words, you would want to stuff votes with a certain percentage of them for the opposing candidate. Right. But they didn't do that. So this makes me wonder, are we watching yet another kind of double-edged operation? Are we watching someone stuffing votes for Biden in the hopes to embroil his campaign, mm. or pardon me, his non-campaign, in all of these allegations of voter fraud? This is the question I have, and it needs to be asked, you know, and I don't mean to be upsetting Trump voters, but this is yet another possibility. We are dealing, after all, with the deep state, and they are as Byzantine as they can be when it comes to stuff like this. So I have to pose that question. The fraud, in other words, is, once again, it's so blatant, and I don't think anybody with a rational mind can look at it as any other way than fraud. Well, it's so blatant, why would you do it that way? This is my problem. And it raises the question, has the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have both been known and caught in actual voter fraud and manipulation of election? But it, at least in the past, they did it with a little bit of finesse. Yes, you yes. know, It's the absence of finesse here <laughs> exactly. that, that bothers me. <laughs> It's almost as if all of a sudden the Democratic Party became incompetent at voter fraud, you know. And I'm sorry, I'm just not buying. I saw, Greg, I saw an article from some newspaper in Philadelphia where a mafioso capo <laughs> was, was involved in stuffing ballots. And I'm thinking, okay, did the mafia all of a sudden lose, lose its competency? <laughs> There's nothing about this that rings true to me. You know, there just is absolutely nothing about this that rings true. Right. And I figure, as always, it seems like Political puppet masters have been gaming elections for as long as there have been elections. But yes, sure. lack of finesse. And I have been scratching my head over why it was done so obviously, especially in the digital age when it just seems like using voter software, uh, you know, a software based approach that could take that algorithm and just make it two percentage points higher doing the minimum manipulation required. Right. They could do it in that kind of way. But the espionage angle is something I really hadn't considered. Well, yeah, this is the other part of this. We're now, if you're following Trump's lawyers right now and the cases that they're trying to build, it seems fairly clear, again, you know, prima facie without having yet had any of this heard in court, but it seems pretty evident that, number one, we're dealing with voting software that has a history in certain states of being questioned for its lack of security, number one. That software in turn now has apparent connections to Venezuela, to Canada, to Spain, you know, and apparently to Germany. So, okay, right there, we've got foreign interference with the elections. You know, I'm sorry, but this is what it indicates to me. And if it's Venezuelan software that was put into the company that's a Canadian company and the votes are being tallied in Barcelona, Spain, <laughs> you know, all of this tells me that this system is a mess. And then on top of this, Greg, we've had these stories come out about all of these machines being hooked up to the internet. So we're dealing with lousy software with little security that anyone can hack into. <laughs> you know? 
And again, on top of all of this, we have these stories about Mr. Trump with his advisors in some military skiff somewhere on election night watching all of this happen in real time. And some of the Trump supporters are putting out the idea, well, this was all a big op that was planned from the beginning so that they could catch them in the act. Well, I'm sorry. My problem with that is you don't put the country through a major constitutional crisis in order to score political points. If you're going to do that sort of thing, catch them in the fraud before an election. Mm-hmm. Don't let the election take place and put the whole country through hell. Be the Democratic part of the country or the Republican part of the country. You know? mm-hmm. so, so I have questions all the way around here, and I'm not trying to ride hard on Mr. Trump. You know, There's clear fraud going on here, and the Democrats have been caught red-handed. But again, I go back to this lack of finesse. That raises alarm bells for me. It really, really does. Yes, and it should. And of course, a lot of people were predicting that election night would be just chaos in the streets. There were a lot of photos of businesses boarding up their windows. And I really didn't think we would have chaos that night because I figured by the end of the night, it would be such chaos that there still wouldn't be a clear winner, which there wasn't. And there's no reason to get super upset unless there's some kind of decision being made. And then, of course, a few days later, there was that decision and... A lot of people who lean left just are happy to go along with it because they got what they wanted. And a lot of people feel as if this election is over because the media told them that it is. But Mm -hmm. I'm really not so sure. There are so many factors. Like you mentioned, there are lawsuits. The Electoral College has not voted yet. There's continuity of government protocols being talked about. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of speculation over the Supreme Court and the Mm -hmm. fact that Trump did put three people on there and they might uh, repay that favor in some certain way. So I just don't know, even though it seems calm today to a degree, what do you think are the next things to watch for before these results are considered settled? Are there certain milestones or, or dates that you're looking out for? One date is December 8th, when the Electoral College has to vote and submit the results. But I want to go back to something very significant that you said, and that is that the media called the election. Well, this is a problem that we have been living with ever since Truman versus Dewey. Remember that one in 1948, when President Truman was running against Governor Dewey of New York? And, you know, when the polls closed, the polling sampling looked like Governor Dewey had won. And so, you know, newspapers around the country are printing up Dewey wins. And, you know, you know, the famous picture of President Truman holding up that paper Mm -hmm. when, in fact, President Truman had won that election, you know, when all was said and done and all the votes were counted. But ever since then, we have been living with the idea that the media calls elections. Well, I'm sorry, folks, the media doesn't call elections. (laughs) You know, this is a constitutional republic. So we've been kind of, over the decades, manipulated into thinking that media calls the elections and their calls are always accurate. Well, we saw 2016. That was another Dewey Truman replay. You know, Newsweek had already anointed Hillary as the winner of the election and had their magazines all printed up with Madam President and her smiling on the cover. You know, well, things didn't work out that way. So back to your question about where does this go? 
I think there's a strong possibility that this goes Mr. Trump's direction because there are clear and egregious violations of the law in states like Georgia and Pennsylvania and so on and so forth. So if all of those votes that were added after the count was stopped are tossed out by the courts, and I can see no other way for the courts to rule if they follow the law. Well, if that happens, then I fully expect you're going to have elements on the left react. And, you know, if we thought the riots and so on that we've seen in the past few months were bad, think again. Mm -hmm. Because they are armed, they are well-financed, they are organized, and they're ready to go. So my real question here is, are we looking at a possible scenario where we end up with a genuine constitutional crisis where one person has been the projected winner and is accepted as the winner, and then it turns out, no, he's not the winner, and that's the other guy? Are we looking at a situation where you're going to have, you know, kind of like in the Middle Ages when you had two popes, you know, each claiming to be the only pope? Mm. <laughs> you know, are we, are we looking at that sort of situation? And when that happens, are we looking at a situation of two continuity of government operations in play at the same time? You know, this could be a real mess. But my question is, if that scenario is in play, why would the powers that be want to do that? Well, I'm thinking part of this is all one gigantic operation for aiding the financial reset. And here's why. And I'm going to pull from my friend Catherine Fitz here for a moment. Mm -hmm. She has been talking for some years about the fact that there's all sorts of missing money, number one. And number two, that there are obligations now, debt obligations, financial obligations that are so astronomical that Mr. Globaloni and Mr. Central Bankster have got themselves into a situation that they must walk away from those obligations somehow. Well, how do you do that? Particularly in this government's case. Well, you split the country. Literally, you split the country. And by doing so, if you create new legal entities, you literally are walking away from a lot of your obligations. And there's been a story that kind of supports what I think may be happening here, Greg. And again, I'm in the same boat everybody else is in. I'm reading tea leaves here. So this is pure speculation. But there was a story that has not really made the major media, but it did make the local media in Dallas, Texas. And that was that Governor Abbott in Texas, who has his own murky big pharma connections. But Governor Abbott was reported by a Dallas network television affiliate, and I've got a blog coming up this Saturday about this story, is reported as being in conversation with the NASDAQ stock exchange to move their data center from New Jersey to Dallas. Hmm. And the article also talked about they were in conversation with, quote, other exchanges, unquote. Now, Greg, this is a huge story because so much of equities trading and commodities trading on the big equities and commodities exchanges, you know, New York for equities, Chicago for commodities, so much of 
trading now is being driven by computer algorithmic trading to move a data center from New York or let's say Chicago to Dallas means they're moving the trading itself. So in other words, if they're successful in doing that, the question is why would these big exchanges all of a sudden move from New York where they've been headquartered, you know, since the founding of the Republic or from Chicago to Dallas? Well, my answer is they want to, number one, get out of the blue states where they're being taxed to death and into a saner financial and political and cultural climate. And that presages, I think, if not a de jure crack-up of the country, it, it presages at least a de facto one. Hmm. And let's remember Texas a few years ago actually created a state bullion depository. So all of this to me is looking like there's a big game plan of some sort to crack the country up somehow in order to enable their financial reset. So we'll see how this plays out. I fully expect that if Trump should eventually end up the winner of this election, or if they simply cancel and have a, a redo, God. you know, yeah, that's my reaction to that idea too. But um, if they do that, I fully expect that the left will go violent. And let's not forget, if Mr. Biden should win, you've got a huge voting block out there that will be very, very skeptical of anything that the Biden administration might do. I mean, the man is a senile dotard, and he's a kleptocrat. He's done nothing in his political career other than grift the government to enrich his family. So, you know, this will be an incredibly weak administration if Biden comes in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It will be just incredibly weak. And quite frankly, Greg, think that the China connection there is very disturbing because essentially we'll have a president who's an asset of China. So it's disturbing any way you look at it. So I'm thinking that we could expect some violent pushback on the part of the right as well. And that goes particularly if they try to ram through any sort of radical agenda in the first two years of an administration like that. But here's the other problem, Greg. Since we're talking about election fraud, the Democrats were clearly expecting a blue wave. And all of a sudden, they lose seats in the House, and the incumbent picks up seats in the House. So in other words, Trump had major coattails in this election, but that didn't translate in the results we've seen thus far in the publicly pushed narrative. That didn't translate into votes for him. Right. So in other words, the down-ballot elections were clearly showing that there was something going on in favor of Mr. Trump, and yet they're pushing a narrative where he lost. And again, that makes no sense. Yes, <laughs> yes. Just, I thought that was pretty curious, too. Yeah, it's just, yeah it just makes no sense. So we're looking at a mess here. You know, if the objective was to create a constitutional crisis, they cooked up a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's so provocative to think that maybe we'll see something like a 
restructuring of a company where they file bankruptcy, change their name, but yet, Mm -hmm. you know, the inner workings, the same people are kind of still at the top. Maybe they will do that for the country. And another thing I saw that was interesting is yesterday, the head of the SEC, Jay Clayton, he said he's stepping down Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of this year, which is a year earlier than uh, he needed to. And Mm -hmm. that's quite interesting. Maybe he knows some of the stuff that you're speculating about. Well, the SEC, let's not forget, has promulgated regulations recently that are very similar to the FASB 56 regulations that the federal government promulgated, which basically takes, again, I'm with Catherine Fitz here, it basically takes the entire federal government budget black. So, yeah, they're literally trying to operate behind this wall of secrecy, and this is the other big problem. And again, you know, Catherine Fitz has pointed this out many times. Many other commentators have pointed out the problem of operating with everything behind this veil of secrecy. You cannot have a functioning society, civilization, culture, or republic where everything is in a black box. I mean, that's the Soviet Union, and look where it got them. You know, you just can't do it that way. And even Mr. Gorbachev recognized that with his glasnost, which was openness, and perestroika, you know, in the final days of the Soviet Union. He recognized we've got to get out of this black box method of operating, otherwise we're going to lose it all. And, of course, they lost it all. Hmm. So, you know, this is also going on behind the scenes. So, yeah, I'm with you. I view his resignation as mighty peculiar under the circumstances. And by the same token, you've got resignations of the defense secretary, Esper, and then Trump putting in his own person as National Security Council counsel. So I think that this is portending a real knockdown, drag out fight, legally speaking, in the courts that may ripple over into the federal bureaucracy somehow. Nothing about this situation gives me any comfort. No, definitely not. And a lot of people out there have been watching this election, thinking that it's going to determine the direction of the COVID agenda. Obviously, that's on a lot of people's minds. And we have one guy who's always wearing a mask and the other one who's making fun of him for wearing a mask and apparently got it and really nothing seemed to happen all that much. And it's interesting because I am curious about that question as well. How do you think the COVID agenda relates to the election? Do you think it's really going to be any different? Are we going to get the same thing either way? Well, that's an excellent question. And I think the COVID agenda has had a huge impact on the election in the following way. In the months prior to the election, we were hearing the media reporting that Trump's support was soft, okay? And I tend to think that in this instance, they were reporting correctly because Trump did himself no favors by presenting Dr. Fausti, as I like to call him, (laughs) on an almost weekly basis with these ridiculous press conferences where the narrative kept changing until we finally decided, okay, we've got a lockdown, socially distance, and wear nose bags. <laughs> and he did himself no favor 
equally when he started talking, well, we've got to get a vaccine, rush a vaccine out there and maybe even get the military involved in distributing it. Remember that one? Right. And I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm convinced that a lot of his support began to be soft precisely because that was the narrative that they perceived. There were a lot of people, myself included, that look at all these vaccines that they're brewing up in their witches' cauldrons in their laboratories with a very jaundiced and skeptical eye because we were being told that these vaccines would be genetically engineered mitochondrial RNA vaccines that would tinker with your RNA. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want Monster Santo or IG Farben or Muck Pharmaceuticals, which is what I like to call Merck. I don't want any of these big pharmaceutical companies tinkering with my DNA. No. And the other problem here is, and I just blogged about this yesterday, the other problem here is when you genetically engineer something, like GMOs or vaccines, those are patents, and corporations own those. So I'm wondering, is this vaccine thing with the genetic tinkering, and in some cases they admit that it'll alter your DNA, does that mean that they will have a corporate lean, so to speak, against your own body, against your own DNA? Are you going to become property as a result of this? Hmm. So I think Trump's support began to become soft precisely because of the narrative that people were perceiving, myself included, him and Fausti pushing. Now, he backed off of that, incidentally, and I think very suggestively for my hypothesis here, he backed off of that a couple months prior to the election. He distanced himself from Fausti, he brought in another doctor, and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is they're still pushing this vaccine thing. Right. And when they roll that out and say everybody has to have it, that's when you're going to have pushback. Mm -hmm. You're going to have major pushback. This has really been my issue with Trump supporters because they are talking like, oh, well, Trump's wise to all these agendas and he's draining <laughs> the swamp, of course, and he's <laughs> he's for vaccine freedom. And well, on the surface, I definitely prefer Trump's COVID approach to Biden's because Biden's, of course, seems so nanny statish and so yeah. fear based. And like, if you want a national lockdown, you know, vote for Biden because that's what you'll get. But I do wonder if this is just all a show because he pushed Operation Warp Speed. He gave a billion dollars to the Gavi Vaccine Alliance. And why hasn't Trump ever brought the alternative voices to the podium? I feel like he could have done a lot more to push back on the COVID agenda if he wanted to. Bring up Dr. Judy Mikovits. Bring up Dr. Shiva. Have a press conference and say, look, we're going to talk all day, all day, eight hours to experts and PhDs who disagree with the CDC on this. We're going to look at alternative data. He never did that. He just right. kind of let Fauci control the narrative. And it seems like his resistance is only surface level. Bingo, you just expressed exactly my profound anxiety over this whole thing. Because nowhere was any alternative scientific point of view ever presented, either on the major networks or by the Trump administration. 
And this is my big problem. I mean, right now, Greg, I live in a city where there is a rhino of a mayor. I mean, talk about a real piece of work who has rammed this mask mandate ordinance through the city council. And every week he gives these press conferences where he's regurgitating the narrative, the CDC Fausti narrative. And there's such an absence of any countervailing scientific opinion that a couple of doctors have initiated a class action lawsuit against him precisely because they question the science. Hmm. So, yes, I'm in full agreement with you. There is and are doctors out there questioning the whole narrative, and they are being silenced. They are not being given any time of day. And for the most part, they are trying to make their case on the alternative media because they cannot get any time on the national networks. I mean, look at Faux News and Sean Vanity, for example. He's been four square on board with this Fausti COVID WHO narrative since it all began. And there's no attempt to understand that there are other scientific views out there. And quite frankly, I think people need to be aware of those views so that they can make some intelligent decisions for their lives and for their family and for their children. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, are you going to take a vaccine that has been rushed into production without knowing the consequences? And I'll tell you something else. The United Kingdom is already preparing for the fact that, you know, everybody gets these vaccines and there are going to be some people that will die from them or be irreparably harmed from them. They're already preparing for this. So, you know, we're back to the old Salk polio vaccine. We rush that into production and, oh, come to find out after you take the vaccine, some of your kids come down with polio. Yeah. You know, so again... I think if they try to make a vaccine federally mandatory, there is going to be real pushback, or even at a state level, there's going to be real pushback. I ain't taking it. <laughs> I want to know what intergenerational studies they've done on people who've received it or, you know, animal guinea pigs. I want to know long term. Ordinarily, vaccines go through that kind of trial process anyway. Not to say that even with that, that they're all that trustworthy. Remember that Italian study where they studied a bunch of standard vaccines and found all sorts of crud in them that they couldn't even identify, including including nanoparticles. Exactly. I was going to eventually bring that up as well because we did mention it last time. And then, of course, it ties in with the story of Dr. Charles Lieber, who was mm -hmm. that Harvard chemistry professor who was arrested at the beginning of the year for not disclosing his relationship with the Wuhan virology lab. And his specialty was nanotechnology. Ding, ding, yep. ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're in a rush to get this whole, you know, and that's why I think this whole COVID thing is an op. I mean, my word, folks. And I hate to put it this way, and I'm sure there's going to be some sort of medical expert out there that's just absolutely going to slam me in the comments. But for crying out loud, we're dealing with the flu. <laughs> and, well, that's the other thing is it seems flu-like, but at the same time, there are some very radical reactions that are very mm -hmm. strange from person to person, even within the same families. And yes. I've kind of been living my life as if there is no risk, but 
I don't think that's exactly true either. I guess I agree. The 5G link is still in the mix, but what are your most recent thoughts on what this COVID-19 thing actually is? What is making people sick? Because we can't say that there aren't some people getting sick. Well, we can't say that there aren't people dying from it, right. from whatever this is, because there clearly are. Don't take me as one of these people that thinks it's just all a big hoax. Right. No, I don't think that. I think it is a media-driven social engineering response to it. In other words, I think they have so ginned up panic about it that I can only think either they know something they're not telling or they have seized on this as a crisis of opportunity to drive a social engineering political agenda. Now, I lean towards the latter presently, but this virus is so strange, particularly in the way that you look at the response of people to it. We shut down churches and casinos, but it's okay to protest. Oh, well, we should reopen the casinos. Everybody has to socially distance, but you can't go to church. And if you go to church, you can't take the sacraments. And, you know, on and on this goes. So that tells me right there that they're using this to achieve political and cultural agendas. But once you say that, the fact that the virus itself behaves so very strangely, like you say, family members, people that are genetically related, you know, particularly children, having different responses to it. That's what is so puzzling to me. So I'm thinking, and I have thought and entertained the speculation, that what if this is somehow a bioelectrically activated virus? Mm -hmm. In other words, you get infected with it and then subjected to certain electromagnetic conditions in the environment, and it activates and becomes terribly virulent in some cases. Yes. And... By the same token, we know that certain people are more predisposed to greater adverse reactions than others. And then in the middle of that, we have this really strange study out of France. And I, I latched onto this because, as you know, when I talk on these interviews, I like to chain smoke. <laughs> so there's a study in France that comes out and says, well, smokers are 19% less likely to get any real severe COVID response. And I thought, well, what? <laughs> Okay, why nicotine? You know, why is that the case? Right. So nothing about this virus makes any sense to me. In other words, it's not behaving like a standard virus. Yes, I agree. And there are a lot of indications that these corporations have been testing these vaccines and meddling right. with things in this area well before the outbreak happened. And right. so I'm curious how deep that goes. I like what you said about uh, bioelectrically activated because it's kind of 5G adjacent, but 5G yeah. seems like a little too simple of an explanation, but this makes a little more sense. It makes me wonder if maybe they knew that when they rolled out this huge level change in the electrical environment with 5G, they knew people would be damaged and maybe this vaccine has been designed to not counter a virus, but to alter RNA so that people aren't as versely affected by it or are affected in a way that's maybe more controllable to the elite. It seems related, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm scratching my head too. Yes, I'm going to light up my anti-COVID stick here. <laughs> yes. But um, 
yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me that they knew something and are trying to do this as some sort of preventative. But then there's another interesting response to some of the vaccines that have been under human trials in the United Kingdom. And it's a very strange one, but I think it should be noted that one of the people that received one of these trial vaccines in the UK came out and said they've killed God. Mm. That was the response to the vaccine. Wow. In other words, there was a spiritual or intellectual response to it. And oddly enough, in the UK, the trials have had a lot of people responding to the vaccine with neurological problems. Hmm. So, you know, again, I think there's perhaps a much deeper agenda that goes to transhumanism with this idea that you're going to have a new type of vaccine that plays around with mitochondrial RNA. You know, and that's, let's face it, folks, that is a new thing. Yes. That they're trying to push here. And this is definitely in the wheelhouse of something I wanted to make sure I asked you about, because in one of your articles, you end it by saying, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, Christ warns not to fear those that can kill the body, but the soul. Right. And this does look like we're increasingly dealing with people who want to do both. And yeah. those spiritual aspects of the agenda are another thing I wonder about. It's interesting that a lot of researchers are connecting COVID-19 to the electromagnetic systems of the body, but mm -hmm. I've also heard researchers equate the soul to the electromagnetic aspects of the self or the light body, et cetera, et cetera, these unseen parts of ourselves. So we are kind of in that mix. What are your thoughts on a spiritual component to the whole thing rather than just a say, genetic surveillance one? Could they be trying to disrupt the soul cycle or something far out like that? Well, in my blog yesterday on my website, and I'll give people the title of it, it's called Engdahl on that Pfizer vaccine. So they can go to my website and look up that blog. I pointed out that genetics in the last decade and a half, through studying genetic haplogroups of humanity, you know, taking samples from all over the world, reached the conclusion that we all share mitochondrial RNA from a common mother whom geneticists call mitochondrial Eve. To me, that was revolutionary because I grew up in an education system, and I'm using quotation marks around both words, that taught the theory of evolution as disproving all of those old biblical Mesopotamian Egyptian myths about common parents to all of humanity. So along comes mitochondrial Eve, and what they're telling you is we're all genetically related. We're all, you know, sisters and brothers, quite literally, in a genetic sense, in terms of having a common mother. And in the blog, I speculate, well, that's one way you would try to remake humanity and disconnect humanity, quite literally, from the species of Homo sapiens sapiens, is alter that mitochondrial RNA. Mm -hmm. And the other way you would do it, so in other words, 
here's a little prediction. If that's their agenda, if that really is the deep, deep agenda, then the other thing they're going to try and do is geneticists also discovered that when you examine the Y chromosome in human males, only males carry the Y chromosome. So when you examine the Y chromosome in human males, lo and behold, it appears that we all descend from some common male ancestor whom geneticists call Y chromosomal Adam. So if the agenda is to tinker with DNA sufficiently to change the species and disconnect it from that long historical genetic heritage that we call Homo sapiens sapiens, the other thing you're going to do is alter Y chromosomes. Hmm. Now, if that's the case, if that is the agenda, if we're looking at a real transhumanist agenda to create a new humanity, the question is why? Do you then become, by dint of those modifications, as I said before, do you then become property? of whoever's doing these modifications. Hmm. That's huge. That's huge. You remember what Charles Fort said way back in the 1920s, I think we're property. <laughs> yes, I do love that provocative quote. And if you listen to some of the people in our alternative community that are focused on the straw man corporation stuff, they make the case that in a legal sense, we are already property, or at least that we inadvertently represent some legal fiction. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I tend to take that stuff with a bit of a grain of salt. It is interesting, but I just don't know how important it actually is. But maybe this is kicking it up a notch. We know they think like this. Maybe now we won't just represent some shell corporation on paper under maritime law, but like GMO proprietary corporate seeds, we're going to have proprietary corporate people. Yeah, under new ownership, basically. It's like the vaccine is like a sign hanging out in front of a store under new ownership, only in this case, the store is humanity itself. So, you know, there's a lot going on here, you know, that is very, very deep. And that's what I find so disturbing about the fact that both sides are pushing but one narrative about this COVID vaccine stuff. And the counter-indicating science is not given any time whatsoever on any major international or national platform. And that should upset everybody. Yes, I think people really should wrestle with that idea. Like, what is this PCR test even looking for? What is it even finding? And this relates to an article you had posted back in August called, Are These COVID Tests Searching for Quote-Unquote Someone? And, you know, you get into this very idea that what they're detecting with this PCR test is a sequence found in all human DNA, which implies that, yes, there will be a ton of positives if you amplify the sample enough times. Right. But also, the test isn't for a virus, but the presence of this genetic marker all humans should have. So it adds a layer to that idea that if they're looking for someone like the victims of an ET hybriding program under the guise of a virus. Yep. This is how you would weed those people out. Yeah. And by the way, take your vaccine and become a hybrid, <laughs> you know, because the earliest papers that I saw on this mitochondrial RNA vaccine idea, some of those papers were arguing that it was deliberately designed to alter 
your your DNA. So again, is this an attempt to place humanity under new ownership, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And is it an attempt to if we're going to the ET a hybridization idea, is it an attempt to make us more like the hybrids? You know, uh, who knows? Mm. But at this stage, Greg, I've seen so much strange stuff in my life, particularly since I started this strange research book writing career. <laughs> I've seen so much strange stuff. I would put nothing past these people. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to add another layer while we're on this subject, because one of my favorite angles of yours was that the invasion of Iraq had more to do with important ancient archaeological sites and maybe even ancient weapons, Mm -hmm. and that the looting of the Baghdad Museum was a big aspect of that. Oh, yes. Well, there is a little piece of information that might relate to that, where apparently in the recent declassification of some of Hillary Clinton's emails, Yep. Someone found this list of U.S. Department of State FOIA requests, and one reads, quote, requesting documents relating to the resurrection chamber of Gilgamesh, (laughs) the location of his body, and the location of buried Nephilim. Mm -hmm. I mean, what the hell? What you say, you know, could be nothing. It could be just, uh, you know, nothing too major, maybe just a find and recover attempt to return Iraq's antiquities. But as you say, if one speculated that they might still be around somehow or even mingled more into the human population, infiltrating it, so to speak, then the only way to find out if that indeed occurred would be to obtain DNA samples from corpses, do the requisite sequencing on the corpses, and then and only then returning them to Iraq. One would then have to test almost the entire human population or at least large swaths of it and one could never admit the reasoning for doing so. One would need to do it under cover of some other activity, say, for example, testing for a virus during a planned scamdemic. Yep. I like it. I like it. I mean, it's very provocative. I don't know if I like it, but I like the idea of it that it is uh, something to this magnitude. Have you seen anything else that would suggest that or lend credence to it other than this random FOIA request? Well, no, I haven't. I tossed that out there because it was such a strange story in the midst of all of this that I was kind of hoping that other people might know something and pass it along. But, you know, nothing nothing happened. I didn't get any nibbles. But let's put it in context here. How strange is it for the United States Department of State to be doing FOIA requests and trying to dig around and find out information about the tomb of Gilgamesh and Nephilim corpses. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. And this, this, incidentally, under the most supposedly rational, science-driven harridans in the world, Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. You know, this might be something we might expect from Hobby Lobby, but <laughs> not the U.S. Department of State under a supposedly rational, secularist, science-driven person like Hillary Clinton. (laughs) But yet, there it is, you know. So, again, to me, that's a little bit of prima facie evidence that we're dealing with people that pretend they're one thing to the public eye, but the real agenda is something very, very old, very occult, and very dark. So, 
to me, that's just another story that tends to confirm that there's something very deep going on with this COVID thing and this mad rush to get everybody to take a vaccine that has tinkered with mitochondrial RNA in it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to take a vaccine that might make me grow to be 18 feet tall and have two rows of teeth. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I just don't want to do that. Mm hmm. Yes, the occult motivations, the spiritual motivations, those are the most provocative and interesting to me, but it just seems like we have so little to go on except for the fact that we know that they care about these things and it is a, mm -hmm. a deep part of their worldview. They just barely ever let it out. And in something like this, it has to be a component because of that background we know about them. Right. Again, it's one story that's out there. And what we were given in that story was a list of inquiries that the State Department was making. But we are not told the results of the inquiries. There's no content of what the inquiries resulted in. So, you know, it's pure speculation on my part. But again, on the other hand, I do regard it as prima facie evidence that there is some sort of agenda here that has to deal with the modification of human DNA itself. In other words, that which marks us out as a unique species within the genus Homo. So is there some sort of esoteric agenda behind all this? I absolutely think there is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're being told, Greg, to wear, you know, feeder bags, like, you know, with these danged masks. Well, I'm sorry. These dang masks are like trying to erect a chain-link fence to keep out a sandstorm. <laughs> you know, that's about how much good they'll do. Yes. So there's a social engineering aspect to this to get everybody compliant, obedient, and so on and so forth. There's no doubt in my mind that they're up to something, and we have yet to figure out what it is. And it's not good. No, not at all. And maybe we'll all be techno-sapiens when this is all said and done, at least that might be what they want us to be. Well, yeah, I think they want to turn us into cyborgs. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill Gates's idea of having a vaccine with an injectable tattoo that monitors your health so that you can get downloaded updates to your vaccine, like the Microsoft model of Windows, I'm sorry, no thank you. Right. <laughs> the updates never really worked that well for Windows. Precisely. Man, so as we're getting near the end of the line here and probably having our last conversation of 2020, I wanted to get a little serious here and ask you about mental health. This holiday season is going to be like no other. Mm -hmm. Families completely conflicted over getting together, many people being alone. Mm -hmm. There could be some screwy election reversals that cause widespread reactions. Mm -hmm. And I just feel the amount of pressure people are under is almost too intense for some to bear. I told you I'm aware of a recent suicide, and I've gotten mm. several emails from listeners that sound like they're very close to the edge as well. What is your best advice for staying mentally or spiritually strong through the end of this year until we speak again? Oh, wow. I'm, I'm sad to hear that. I think all of us are feeling the pressure. I think all of us are just kind of exhausted by it all because there's so much to process. So that would be my first word of advice. Turn off the boob tube. 
turn off the talking heads. Don't listen to them anymore. Because what they're doing is in almost everything that they say, they're pushing some sort of meme of fear. And when you distance yourself, you know, Greg, I haven't had my cable connected in years. I do not listen to CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, faux news. I don't listen to them, period. And if I'm listening to my radio and they start in on the fear, I just turn it off. And you'll be surprised at how within a couple of weeks, all of that starts to dispel. The fear goes away. And the other thing I would do is live your life. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to live it a certain way. Sooner or later, sooner or later, we are being put in a position where we're going to have to fight for our freedom. That's just the bottom line. So make your choice now. And having made your choice, be comfortable in it and go on and live your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I feel like a lot of people are just kind of led around by the stories of the day. And they're getting themselves all amped up. And yes, it's fun and interesting and obviously sometimes quite scary to analyze the scams and schemes of the cabal. Obviously, that's what we've done today. But you need to take a break once in a while if you feel yourself, if you feel it weighing too heavily on you. So take a break, even from me, if you must, you know? Yeah. But yes, wise words. Cheers to that. Remember, Catherine Fitz said something very interesting recently in one of her interviews. She said, there are worse things than death. Mm-hmm. There are worse things than death, slavery being one of them. Once you get to that realization, you can be at peace. It's like the old story about Alexander Zolzhenitsyn, who was before the Soviet judge, who was asking him, why are you continuing to be such a pain to us? And Zolzhenitsyn's response is, when you take away everything, what do you have left to lose? Mm. You've taken away everything from me. So what do I have left to lose? Yeah, it's true. I agree. People should just find their uh, their center of balance and yep. stay true to their convictions and not really worry too much about the rest. But man, I really do appreciate your work and your dedication to helping people like me and these here listeners see between the lines and knowing what to watch for. You are a national treasure, my man. Easadeathstar.com is the website. Anything else to leave him with? No, that's it, Greg. Thanks for having me back. Of course. It's a pleasure as always. Keep doing what you do and take care out there. All right. You too, Greg. Thanks for having me. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. The great Joseph Farrell back in the saddle, breaking down the election fraud funny business and a whole lot more. As you guys know, there's always a little time between recording and releasing an episode. And I remember five days ago when we recorded this, I came out of my office, sat down on the couch, turned on the news and heard that three or four of the major lawsuits Trump had filed got dismissed. I was like, damn it, we just recorded this. Would have been nice to have that information. But since then, I've heard that some inroads have been made in the Republicans' case for election fraud. 
So I guess the fight isn't 100% over yet, but the news sure does continue to pretend that it is. Which is why I asked, what milestones are you keeping an eye on? I had an idea what he would say. Of course, the electoral college vote is the thing to watch. And if the perception is one-sided enough, like it is, I think the social pressure is going to be pretty great. But there's a lot of people out there telling me to brace for a radical turnover. So, I don't know. We'll see. I always appreciate the way Joseph Farrell looks at these things. Of course, I think the vaccine conversation is the more pressing and important stuff to understand, but the election isn't completely unrelated to the degree in which that rolls out, or which companies end up with the final contract, even. Look at Pfizer. Their vaccine is magically announced a week after the election, and the CEO sold off a lot of his stock before the announcement, apparently early enough that it wouldn't look too suspicious, but people are still asking questions. And I guess his goal was to hide the fact that they got government money to develop that vaccine. Again, public investment for private profits. Heard that song sung before. But good stuff. Definitely lots to think about, and trying to uncover that deepest level of the COVID agenda is quite a head trip when you really get into it. Which brings me to the content in the Extended Plus show. As you know, every first hour is free and you can sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus and get a whole second hour of these here interviews. Double your freshness, double your fun. I don't love doing the marketing portion of the wrap-up, but I saw another thread about THC on Reddit where people were not aware there was a second hour which is so hard to believe, but it honestly still happens. So yes, sign up for Plus and you get a lot more show. Today, I talked to Dr. Farrell about covert produce delivery systems for vaccines. Whose plan is this really? The spiritual hierarchy? What happened to Tesla tech disclosures and Trump's MIT uncle? Mining asteroids to dig out of the national debt? In that portion, I think I went on a little rant and said we could just mine Osiris-Rex, which of course you can't do. Osiris-Rex is a mission. But I guess I would just amend that to say the asteroid Bennu instead, or one of many strange esoteric names they give these things. But we also talked about the importance of that year 2030 and the Cabal's general timeline, the quadruple entente and global alliance repositionings, Updates on Antarctica strangeness, serpents and mutated giant octopi, and the 1952 White House UFO flyover. So join up at thehiresidechats.com and we'll be best friends. But that was a good one. You know I've oscillated between covering COVID and trying to get some relief from it for a while now. It's just so unprecedented and I've gone back and forth, but at this point... From the headlines I'm seeing and the latest rounds of restrictions, it seemed to be the most strict we've seen yet, at least where I am now and back where I grew up, it seems like we got to talk about it. I feel a responsibility to make sure that I've done everything I can do to push back before we cross into an implementation phase, which it seems like we're on the cusp of right now anyway, but I'm going to pepper in a bit of both and try to bring you the best either way. But I got Thanksgiving dishes to make. I'm sure you do too. So I'm gonna let you get to it. And I hope you enjoy the holidays. I hope you spend some time with the people you care about. And people think you're worth the risk. 
<laughs> Again, big thanks to Dr. Farrell. GizaDeathStar.com is where it's at. I love you guys. Thanks for sticking with me. I definitely need you more than you need me, but I try to earn my keep. Sign up for Plus if you can, and I'll see you next time. Your move, election fraudsters, covert COVID agenda implementers, and agents of the Great Reset. Your fucking move. I won't take it. No, I refuse. If it's all right, I'll keep my refuge. I've been scheming of bigger things and have to leave my old life behind. Gotta transfer to the inner earth. I built a box, built a hole. Got a neat elevator going under. And now you'll find me. Take it under.